Hello and welcome to Ias Gablan, a bi-weekly podcast from four Latinx daughters. Hi everybody and welcome back to a, another mini-sode of Ias Gablan. Today I'm here with Yasmin Ramirez. Is that how you is that how I pronounce your name? Did I pronounce that properly? Yasmin, actually. Yasmin. Oh, because yeah. it has the little tilde at the top. Okay, Yasmin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so excited to have you here. If you want to start by sort of introducing yourself to our listeners. Absolutely, yeah. So my name is Yasmin Ramirez, and I am the author of Andale Prieta, which just came out actually a month ago this week. Um, yeah, she's a little baby. She's new. <laughs> um, so I'm the author of the book. It's from Lee and Lowe Press. And then I'm also a, an educator in the El Paso, at El Paso Community College, which is on the El Paso, Mexico border. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were, you taught. I know that you mentioned that you were um, sort of finishing up with grading. So what mm-hmm. kind of classes do you teach at um, El Central Community College? So I, um, so I teach English, like basic English comp, comp two, I teach creative writing and I also teach Chicano lit or Chicanx oh, literature. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, we, we love ourselves some books over here. So that's so good. I'm like, ah, it, it makes me so happy to see sort of representation of fellow Latina folks within academia. Cause we're so we're so underrepresented. So I'm glad that that's what you do. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And you teach English and creative writing and literature, which is very on brand. So if you can just tell us a little bit about why literature, why writing? You know, honestly, writing just came really naturally to me. Um, it was something I always did. I always wrote. I always um, journaled. I, I always read a lot because those two, they go hand in hand, right? You can't be a good writer if you're not reading. And so um, they just came really naturally to me. I enjoyed it. And then after trying sort of a different career path, I decided to just try to try to do what made me happy versus um, anything else. And I ended up here. So it, it worked out for me very well. So you said sort of since you were younger, you had sort of these passions for reading or and for writing. Was that something that your like your family, your support system sort of encouraged, or was it something that you sort of had to fight to be able to do? I was really lucky in that my family really supported me as a reader. My mom would buy me books, uh, which I still own. Like I can't oh. dare to part with them. I actually gave some to my nieces recently because it, it felt silly to have like like kids' books or not kids, but like teen books in my garage. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, wait, maybe someone could love these as much. And so I gave them to my nieces, but my mom was always a big uh, supporter of my reading. And then she always saw me scribbling in a journal and it was just like, yes, means doing her thing. And so um, I think really, I I don't know if it's necessarily that they supported my writing, but they never told me not to do it. And they very full heartedly supported my reading by buying me books. My sister would take me to the library mm-hmm. quite often um, to check out like this big stack. And then I would come back with the stack. And then like a week and a half later, I'd be like, hey, can you take me to the library again? And she'd be like, oh, you're done already. You know, but it wasn't that she didn't want to take me. It was just like, wow, you're reading a lot. And so um, I'm lucky in that 
in that facet for sure. I'm very appreciative. Good. We love, we love that, you know, like, um, at least they weren't like, don't do that writing stuff, you know, because especially I feel that like with Latina parents a lot, we hear that like, people are just like, I couldn't, I couldn't explore like creative things like writing or painting because my parents wanted me to be a business person or to be an engineer or you know the the many narratives that we hear about how our family is just really pushing this narrative of like no you have to be these big names of things for you to be successful so I'm glad that they didn't at least discourage you right right absolutely I love that and so a little bit of backtracking, but you said that you read a lot as a kid. So what mm-hmm. are some of the books that sort of inspired you to become a writer or inspired you to sort of take on this career around words, right? And writing and reading. I, you know, it's a great question. And you're not, you're not the first person to ask me that. And it's hard because I'm an all over the place reader mm-hmm. in that Um, I read uh, like a lot of different things, a lot of different genres. The other thing is I'll get really, really fixated on one author for like a little while Mm. and then I'll like find someone else. And so like, if you ask me who are my favorite writers, I don't know if I really have like, these are my go-to. I have, these are the people I'm reading right now because I get equally excited about who I'm reading right now than I was like with something I read a little while ago. And so as a kid, I read a lot. And I, I can give my my life in like segments of <laughs> of what I was reading. Um, and so like as, as a younger like elementary kid, I was reading like Babysitter's Club, of course. Of course. Um, I, I was so in love with it. In fact, I felt weird as an adult re- watching the show on Netflix, <laughs> like out of nostalgia. Um, and then I went through like Sweet Valley High. I went to Nancy Drew. I was a big like mystery person. And then, um, and then I went to horror. I like, I was reading like RL Stein, um, all those goosebumps books, like anything within that. And then I graduated to like adult, I guess, horror. So I was reading like pretty much like adult level books when I was like in high school, like freshman, I was reading like and rice, of course, because I grew up in the 90s. So that's, <laughs> that's like a must. And then the, my sister would like give me stuff because I would need like, okay, yeah, I read a lot of horror. What else can I read? And she'd like give me like a romance novel or she'd give me mm-hmm. like, she liked to read a lot of historical romance. And so I would read that like, okay, this is cool. And then I just would just pick up and like read and read and read and read and read. Like anything that seemed kind of interesting Sometimes I would read something and I'm like, okay, this wasn't that interesting. Um, But I just read so much that I really cannot pinpoint like this author did this. The the books that I mentioned are easy because I would read like, you know, if you read Nancy Drew, it's all these other books, Mm -hmm. like these big, um, I, the word just escaped me. What is the word when it's a bunch of, yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or a series, right? It's a series. Mm -hmm. So series are easy for me to identify, but I don't know. I think when I first first started writing, I started writing kind of horror. Mm. So um, I would try to emulate, right? Because baby writers, we always try to emulate what we're reading. So I think I try to do like some Anne Rice kind of stuff. I tried to do some Poe, Edgar Allan Poe, of course. Mm. Um, and then, uh, And then somewhere along there, I just started writing like my own 
my kind of my own, I would be inspired by, by a book and I would try to write something, but I don't have like a particular, like this book did this for me. And now I found that as a writer, like every book I read influences me in some way, shape or form. Cause even I'll see something like a writer does like a really beautiful line. And I'm like, wow, how did they do that? And so I'll try to like emulate that, but then I'm doing something somewhere else. And then some of my own stuff, I think in a way writing is a lot like cooking Mm -hmm. and that you're reading a lot of different recipes, but you have to come up with your own, like your own, like, okay, I think I like a little bit more of this here or a little bit more of that. And so that's how I, that's how I got here just by reading a lot of everything. I love that. That's so beautiful to compare it to cooking. Um, and thank you for that. That's a really good sort of visual for me to put it into perspective and sort of, do you remember the first thing that you maybe submitted like first writing, whether it was a short story or something that you submitted that sort of existed, not just for yourself and for like your friends that you were sharing it with, but was for maybe a larger audience or a magazine or a newspaper? I think that one of the first things I submitted that I was lucky um, that it got published, which is really cool, was when I, so I went to University of North Texas in Denton, um, Denton, Texas. That's where I went. And so I um, submitted a story to the North Texas Review. And I think this was like 2009, I think. And I submitted this story that I'd held on to for like a couple years. Cause again, like baby writers will write and then we don't want to share it with anyone. Like we're afraid. And then if you do let, like you said, a couple of your friends read it, you feel really vulnerable and you're like, what are they going to think? Um, and so I had, I, I submitted that story and um, I, I was so excited when it got published called six. And so that was one of my first actual like complete story. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what it was about? Yes. It's a little (laughs) bit odd. Um, So I, so I grew up very Catholic in that I would go to Misa like every Sunday with my abuelita, my Ita, that's what I call her. Um, So I would go to church every Sunday with my Ita. And when I got older, she got really upset at me because she would catch me reading like books. I would put a book inside the Bible. (laughs) So that I could read my book and I, I didn't want to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I went through this and I still do it a lot, I think, because there's some of those elements in Andale Prieta and that I, ha- I question a lot of organized religion thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I had this idea of like someone just sitting down with God and asking him six questions and like getting just an answer, like give me a real answer of like, what is this? What is that? And him actually being just a regular person, like a regular person. Um, in fact, I think they're like drinking while they're talking. Um, Cause I wanted to make it just the most regular scene, right? If you just sat down and you had a drink and you're asking God, like, so what is this and wh- why this? And, um, and so I tried to, to play with that idea, which I knew I, at that time, my grandma was still alive. It was probably like sacrilegious for her, for me to write like God drinking and hanging out. Um, but it was a way for me to process some of the things I was going through with thinking of 
like what it meant to be spiritual and what it means to be religious. They're two different things. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I know that maybe I was just like, oh, you're like, oh no, you're putting me on the spot. But thank you for that. I think that um, it's very true that I, I've spoken to some people and they always say how that first piece of writing is always sort of the scariest because it's the first time you're sort of receiving critique or receiving feedback when you had this published, like what were sort of the feelings of getting your, you submitted it, you got it published, right? Maybe were you expecting that? How did you receive that news of publication? Um, well, I remember being really excited. And then I, I do, I do remember this in that they had a reading and then we went, I'd never been to a reading before. You know, I, I, I was not an English major. I wasn't a creative writing, writing major. I was a psychology major. So this was all very like separate from what I was doing in like my academic work. And so um, I remember I went, I dragged one of my best friends to the reading with me and I dressed super cute and we went to the reading and then they had like a list of readers. And at the end, they're like, is there anyone who is in this journal who would like to read who maybe just wasn't on the list? And I was so chicken. I just sat there and like my, my friend like elbowed me like, Hey, like, why'd you bring me here? And I was like, like I could, I could no. not do it. No, I couldn't do it. And I'd never, you know, I'd never read in public and much less, you know, something that I wrote, it was just too much. And so we went and then we left and she was so sweet. Like she never told me anything. Like, why did you drag me here? Why were you know? And I remember I wore these uncomfortable shoes because I wanted to be cute. That's what like really cemented <laughs> this memory for me. Like my feet kept sliding forward and I was like walking around campus to, cause you know, it was of course not close. And I just remember thinking like, oh, why did I wear these shoes? And I didn't even read anything. Like I was thinking that while we were walking and she was so sweet and never, never pointed out that I dragged her there for nothing. But you know, those lessons, y'all made a memory out of it. So that's for so sure. Beautiful. <laughs> now I always wear comfortable shoes. Good. Cause you never know now. You never know. Yep. I never know. So then after this sort of publication, what are maybe other writings that you publish that maybe you're proud of or that you want to mention of? Um, is there anything before you get to, to Andale Prieta? You know what? I didn't, after that, I would write, but I didn't submit um, a lot of stuff because I didn't really know how to go about that, right? Like I knew about that magazine because that's where I went to school. So even after I graduated, I would still like scribble in a journal. A lot of it was really like fragmented pieces of just mm. stuff where I was practicing. And so I maybe wrote like two more stories. I never really did anything with them because I didn't, I didn't know where to send them. I didn't know where to look for stuff. And then there's, um, there's these sites that are, are there, they try to take advantage of young writers and that, oh, if you pay us, we'll publish your piece. Mm. And, you know, as a young writer, you're like, is that legit? I don't know. What is that? And so I really didn't start learning more about publishing and sending my work out until I was in grad school. And then after that, um, I started really aggressively attacking like literary magazines, journals. And then I learned about things like Submittable, um, which is a little bit more reputable to look to where to send your work than just mm -hmm. like Googling um, and so there was, there's a big, like kind of break there because I didn't know what I was doing and I would get overwhelmed in like researching it. Like, where do I send this? Is this legit or is this not? And I, it was hard to discern for me, like, what is, where should I send this? 
Um, and so I think after like grad school is when I started sending a lot of stuff out and then I was trying to get short stories published that actually are sections of Andale Prieta because I started it as a collection of short stories and then it turned into like a novel because I'm traditionally like a fiction short story writer. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me to write a novel, I get overwhelmed. But if I break chapters into short stories, it's easier for me to sort of tackle it that way. And um, I was trying to publish the short stories um, that I wrote in relation to, to the, to the, what's now a book. I didn't have a book yet. Mm. So then how did you tell us a little bit about maybe more of how you actually got to, to Analipieta, like what you, you weren't expecting to have a book. So what are some of the things that led you here? Now you've been published, it's been out for a month. So Maybe if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so Andre Prieta began as, um, so they became as short stories. Like they were also fragmented. Um, it was after my grandmother's death that I started working on this. And so it was a way for me to deal with her death and how coping with that loss that was pretty immense. And then, then I got into grad school for creative writing and I was struggling in this, this atmosphere because one, my background was not in this field too. I worked for about like five years. Um, so I wasn't in a classroom in an academic setting for a while, even though I read a lot, I didn't read, like they were reading, you know, writing theory. And <laughs> that's not something that you read for fun. Um, or at least most people don't read for right. fun, I should say. <laughs> um, and so I, I was in this, this room um, with people and I just felt really uncomfortable and I wasn't sure like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I bit off more that I could chew. And um, all the stuff that I was submitting, like for, for workshop with my classmates was not doing well. And then finally, I just submitted a section of what uh, I'd written about my grandmother. And suddenly, like, everybody was like, oh, my God, this is so good. <laughs> and I didn't understand why. I remember being confused, like, wait, what? This, this, this is good. I didn't try with this one. <laughs> and so I don't know if I was overcompensating, like I was trying too hard and I was overwriting or trying to sound like what we were reading at that point. And so when I turned in something that sounded more like me, I did a lot better. And so that sort of gave me the confidence to, to really start writing um, more and developing those sections of stories. And then I had a wonderful um, thesis director, Lex Williford, who was so supportive and he helped me so much in the initial like drafts of it. And that's how it just kept like going. So when I graduated, this was actually, it was my thesis. Uh, it was a different title. It was titled Por un Amor, but it was not where it is now. It's probably like half, 50% of it was ready. Um, and that's how I, that's how I got to at least starting to write it. And then following that, I was like, okay, no, I really want to work on this. I really want to make it a book. And then I uh, would write and write and write and write. And then I sent it out a couple times to some presses and I got the kindest no's I've ever gotten my, in my entire life, like long emails telling me why they were passing. And it's that there's something that happens when you write a memoir and that you can fill in the blanks because it's your life. And so I finally just, I was like, I think I needed like an outside editor who doesn't know me, who knows nothing about me and they can read the book to find the gaps that I was missing. And so I did that. And I worked with a wonderful mom, Becky Powers and her daughter, Jessica Powers. They helped me so much. They were like, this is missing and what's here. And they helped me develop it. And then now 
like that's when I was like okay I get it now I have I have a book because obviously with the nose they hurt my feelings you know nose always hurt right no matter what but I knew okay at least they told me no there's something missing not just no um and I needed some help navigating those spaces to see what was missing and thankfully I found two wonderful editors that gave me like immeasurable feedback and got helped me get it to where where it is today I'm that and I'm glad that you had like a good support network after you were like because you know no's can be really discouraging and they can be the reason why people are like I don't want to do this anymore this isn't for me you know so I'm glad that you weren't discouraged if anything it really motivated you to find additional support so before you tell us a little bit more about the book I know that you mentioned that at first it was called uh, Por un Amor, and now it's Andale Prieta. Why, why uh, Por un Amor, and then why the shift? So in the book, I reference a lot of music because my, my grandma was very musical. Like we always had music playing or she was singing or something like that. And so um, originally I titled it Por un Amor because it was for my grandmother. Like I really wrote it like for her and, and growing up with her. And then it's also a musical reference. So that was the title. And then after I worked with the editors, then the book did get picked up by Cinco Puntos Press. And so working with Lee Bird, she really helped me tighten it up even more. Like it's just, it's just interesting thing how you see a manuscript develop and like little things. And um, Lee, you know, she didn't speak Spanish, but she, I loved her and she loved that I was writing some of it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, what, how can we change the title? So it's a little bit more engaging. And cause there's nowhere in the book, did it say anything like Por un amor? there was no reference. And she's actually the one that caught like several different points in the book. My grandmother says like, Andale Prieta. and so she's like, what if we make this the title? Cause then it links to this to the story and um and then the more I thought about it at first I was like okay and then I'm like oh well no that because then that's kind of beautiful because it's both like a phrase that my Ifa used to say to me and then it's also her nickname for me right so Prieta is on there and so it was like both of us on the cover at the same time through one phrase so now that we sort of are at the book if you can tell us a little bit more about Andale Prieta and what it means to you, maybe I know that you said that it's a memoir and I've started reading it, but sort of for people out there, get, w- tell us more about the actual book. So the book is, um, and it's whole, like in the beginning, it started as a sort of an ode to my, to my Ita, but then it became like an ode to my family. It very much is, it's a love letter, not just to my grandma, to my family, but also to the El Paso area. Um, growing up in El Paso, I found when I moved away was very unique um, because of the duality of growing up here. Um, you know, it's, it's like 85% Mexican, Mexican-American and various generations. So, so that, that was important for me to highlight that, that part of my upbringing and being able to cross the bridge and go to Juarez and, you know, spend a day shopping in Juarez and then come back and things like that. And so I really wanted to highlight not just my family, but my culture, because mm. that that was definitely important for me to show um, a more accurate view of what it's like to grow up in a border city. And sort of um, when you think about this book, right, I, I started reading it sort of like I mentioned, I haven't been able to finish it. 
But I think that this is maybe like um, a conversation that you mentioned that you've had with people before, right? When we think about the word Prieta within Mexican-American or Mexican culture, right? A lot of, it, it can be, you know, a source of pain for a lot of people because of the colorism in our community. Right. So sort of one, like, is that something that happens to you? I read a little bit about the book, but I want you to talk about it, but sort of <laughs> why? And then two was then because of this sort of maybe hurt that comes with Prieta for a lot of people, was it hard making that, that including that in the title? I think, you know, what's interesting is I, I didn't, I did and I didn't, I, I think unconsciously I, I thought about it, but you know, for me, for the longest time in my life, Prieta was not an ugly word. I didn't even realize that we had colorism, right? I, I mean, as a kid, you don't know that word, you don't understand it. Right. Um, but there's like little things that are told to you. Thankfully, I was not told this, but I, other people since the book has come out have shared, you know, this idea of like, oh, you know, stay out of the sun. Yeah. Uh, it is, no, um, yeah, it is bien prieta. But when you say bien prieta, I noticed that's when it definitely has that negative, that negative connotation. It's the bien, which is funny. If you put bien in front of it, it, it turns, it turns it into a whole different thing. And so, um, as I said, for me, the biggest chunk of my life, prieta was just fake name. That's, that's who I was called. Um, and then after the death of my grandmother, I was really saddened that to realize no one would call me that again right to know that she like this name that she had for me that was super special was gone it just disappeared that part is very present in the book and then there is like later or early on um I addressed like some kids said I was bien prieta and I had to be like more Mexican than them you know again people go back and forth here it's very much a, a commuter city and so I got mad Cause I was like, what does that mean? I'm, I'm bien prieta. It made it into this ugly thing. And then I did realize that there's a, you know, a, a social hierarchy that it was embraced to be lighter. Mm. Um, and then of course, if you have lighter skin or light eyes, it's cause, Oh, you know, my, my family's from Spain and all these things that are said in, in the community that we don't realize one, how hurtful they are. And two, how silly they sound in retrospects, right? Because you're pretty much just celebrating colonization by saying that. Yeah. And then you're celebrating a Eurocentric viewpoint of beauty and you're perpetuating this stereotype again that like all Mexicans or Mexican Americans look a certain way, right. which is not true. Like we come in all shapes, sizes, shades, you know, from light skin to Afro Latinos, like they're there's a wide spectrum. And so that inadvertently is in the book. And I didn't go in, like, I want to write about this topic. That wasn't my intention at all. My intention was, let me tell my story. But I think through telling my story, I've gotten, you know, some really interesting reactions, not just to the title, but I've gotten some beautiful messages from fellow Prietas and uh, people who have shared, like, their nickname is Prieta. In my family, I was Negra and how seen they feel with the title, which even like, it's, you know, it's, it's been a month, which sounds like a long time, but not a long time. Right. Um, and I don't think those messages will ever stop like hitting my heart as much as they are, because it's really beautiful. 
to see that and sharing my story that so many people like felt the same way and that in some spaces they were completely fine being called Prieta and being called Negra and that it was a cariño and then in other spaces it's like the people who say it that turn it into something ugly and um I don't know it 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 I don't think I know how to like honor all of these stories that are being shared with me because it's so big. I mean, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my story, obviously, because all these people are connecting with it, but I'm just sort of like in awe. Um, because I'm going to be honest, when I first saw your book come across on my TikTok, I was just like, is this going to be a book where we're like, what is this about? Right. I think that for me, like, um, like, I, like that wasn't something that sort of my family used like I'm not very like I'm kind of very pale not not super pale but like you know like that wasn't the difference between me and my sister right because I feel like some of these nicknames come about to distinguish you from from your other siblings or cousins right so like in my family like for me it was like gordita or like gorda and my sister was the flacas right so it was like at first I was just like well where is this going and when I started listening more to you talking about the book right on your TikTok and then starting reading it it's so interesting to see how this naming right the cariños de que te dicen de cariño takes on different forms And it's just like, for me, because I, I never was called Prieta or that like color in that way wasn't something that my family would talk about, right? But I could still see it relating when I think about other like nicknames and stuff like that. So I wanted to say thank you for that because I feel like that's, um, I feel like that's a conversation that I feel like people outside of like Mexican culture easily are like, I have my opinions about or I have something to say about you know but it's really nice to see that it has been a source of empowerment for other people who maybe navigate through this so so thank you for that and thank you for talking about that thank um, you when we think more or talking a little bit more of the book is there anything that or maybe what were some of the challenges with writing the book I know that like of course it's like a love letter to your family and I know that at the beginning you share sort of about these very beautiful and intimate moments with your grandmother um so if you can talk maybe I know, I know it's very personal to you and it is about your life right and that in itself can be what's hard but like if you can talk more about that. I think um, the the earlier stories, you know, the, the book is divided into two sections. So the first section is called Finding Ita. And then the second section is called Finding Yasmin. Um, Finding Ita came to me a lot more naturally in that I, while it was sad to relive some of those memories, it was also like she was living on in them. And in fact, like now, I think she has a whole other life in this book, um, which I think is really beautiful. Uh, the second part of the book where I'm, I'm writing about myself was definitely more difficult because it required a lot of self-reflection and, you know, none of us are perfect, but we don't like to write or put our imperfections out there <laughs> for everyone to see. Um, so I had to do that in certain instances. Um, the other, the other thing that was kind of difficult for me to do was writing sections about my father. I don't have a relationship with him. I haven't seen him in over 20 years. And I was a little, um, maybe like a little rincorosa and that I didn't want to give him that space in my book. Like, why am I going to give him this space? But he's a large 
part of like how I grew up in my upbringing and who I am today, even in his absence. And so I had to put that in there. While it was not fun to write at the end, I did feel like, like I made peace maybe with some things I hadn't realized I needed to make peace with. And so that, I think those sections were the most difficult. I would say even more difficult than writing about my Ethos death because it required me to sort of reflect a lot on why I felt certain ways. Is there like a key lesson that you learned while writing the part about yourself? That's a good question. That's a really good question. <laughs> no one has asked me that. <laughs> you got me there for a second. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, I think one of the things I learned is that I perpetually made plans, like very, mm. like you're going to do X, Y, Z to end up here. Mm. Uh, and several times in my life that did not work out. And so I sort of, well, my natural instinct is to do X, Y, Z to end up here. Um, Even with writing this book and getting it published, I had, you know, I would have wanted to get it published years ago. But then if I think of what I had written years ago, it wasn't ready. And I would have been sad, like at that reception to where the reception I've gotten in the last month has been more than anything I could have ever imagined for a little baby a baby book, a baby writer, right? Uh, I'm still very, I'm like a toddler now in my, in my writing career. I'm like a toddler in that I don't have a lot of experience, you know, with, with being out and promoting and publishing and, and talking to people and signing books and navigating these spaces that you don't think about when you're sitting at your computer by yourself, (laughs) writing a book, right? So it's very drastic spaces. So I think I've just learned to kind of embrace things as they come as best as I can, right? You still want to work towards things, but maybe the plan that you had is not the best and the the one that you need will come along, I think is something I've learned. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One of my questions is, if there was one thing that a reader took from Andale Prieta, what would you want that one thing to be? Ooh, what, what, who's the reader? I think it depends on the reader. Let's say it's a fellow Latina or Mexicana. Okay. Then I hope that they'll take away the strength in these characters. And that even though some of them are very flawed, myself included, and they make mistakes, that there was always like a strength in their decision. And that there was always like the fortaleza, like to keep going. I think that's what I would want them to take away. And that is true. Different people are going to take different things from the book. And maybe like... What would you want like non-Latine or Mexican folks to get from your book? Um, I think I would like them to get that this is, I mean, one, it's a book about our community written by someone in the community, right? So it's a more accurate viewpoint in a sense in that everyone's experience growing up is a little bit different. Of course, I'm not going to say I'm the, I'm the big spokesman for all Mexican Americans, but that. You know, I just think of, of in the last year's recent books that got really popular because they seem to fall back on stereotypes a lot. And so this this book is not a stereotype. They're all really real people. Um, in fact, that was that's sort of daunting to me about how much people know about my life mm. now when they read the book. <laughs> um, but I think in what I hope they'll take away that at the, at its core, 
like we're all people who love and have families and have faults and that make mistakes. Um, and I'll hope, I hope they'll see past also um, like an immigrant narrative, mm. right? Because I feel like a lot of times um, while there are still people immigrating and there's a lot of first gen people and I love their stories and I honor their stories, that's not our only story. Right. And so my, my book highlights that in that um, I'm not a first gen. I'm not a second gen. I actually found out I'm fourth gen, but like my family just stayed in El Paso. And so that's why I have strong cultural roots. And so I hope they'll see that we hadn't, we haven't just arrived, that we have been here for a long time, um, longer than, than most. <laughs> right. Oh, well, thank you. And so my, my like last big question is sort of what advice do you have for a young fellow, like, Mexican writers who were sort of like you just scribbling on the side or always having their you know sort of like what, what's the saying like their nose in the book um, what advice would you give them um, I think I would give them two two different uh, suggestions so one is to read a lot and read a lot of everything um, you know read read um, Latinx literature, read African-American literature, read LGBTQ plus literature, like read it all and see and learn from different forms of storytelling. That's important. And the other thing I would say is that the only person that you have as a writer to first start you out is yourself, right? Like that's your, your main cheerleader. And a lot of times bravery is mistaken for doing things without fear. And that's, so untrue because half the things I've done to get my book published I have been scared out of my mind (laughs) but it's like you have to try like you you miss the chances you only miss the chances you don't take and so I took a lot of chances with the book and sharing uh sharing sections of my life in a classroom first and then with a thesis director and then with strangers and then um you know with presses that gave me no's that that I, I'm not going to lie and say I was not devastated. I was devastated for like a couple days, but then it was kind of like, okay, I have to suck it up. And if I really want to make this work, I have to keep going. And I had to accept criticism as well in learning that not everything I write is gold. <laughs> in fact, most of the time it's not, I have to go back two or three times to fix it, to make sure it's perfect or what I think is perfect. Um, and it's that it's that being stubbornness I think to be a good writer is embracing that you're going to be alone a lot of the time with your with your computer or with your journal and that then you have to show it to people to to grow and it all comes down to to believing in yourself and being being terca and usually um for most of our episodes we sort of end on a recommendation so if okay. you want to recommend us, it doesn't have to be a book, but maybe if you want to recommend us a book, of course, you're recommending us to read Andale Prieta, of course. Um, but outside of that, maybe what is a book or show or movie that you recommend us to, to engage with? Okay. So to engage with, um, oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to go along with what we, I'm going to piggyback on our last question. Okay, so one of the books that I love a lot, I even teach it in my creative writing classroom. It's, it sounds funny when I first say it out loud and people are like that, that, him? So there's a Stephen King book 
but it's a memoir and it's called on writing. And so the first half of the book is um, like a memoir of how he became a writer. And then the second part talks a lot about craft and writing. And so I think for young writers that if you want to be a writer and you're like, I want to do this, I think it's, it's really engaging one. And then two, he gives you this monster list at the end of the book of like things you should read. I mean, when I say monster, it goes on for like pages. (laughs) So um, I think it's a really great start for someone who's um, learning about writing or wants to learn more about writing and, and they don't have to do it in an academic setting. Like they could read this book and learn how to hone their craft and how to edit because he talks a lot about the importance of editing. So it's a beautiful book. Um, and then I'm going to do it. Can I do a shameless plug? Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so something I would recommend just on a total, like just, I want to have fun is listening. Um, so I made a companion playlist to the book on Spotify. So it's called Andale Prieta. So if you Google that, it's like six hours of music that complement the book, um, that go along with the different spaces that the book navigates, but you can just listen to it and have fun. If you like 90s music, you're going to love the playlist. Um, and it's a great mix of things from like Chente to Juan Gabriel to Outkast to Nirvana. And so um, I think it's, it, I love it. I've been listening to it like crazy because <laughs> I like the songs. I put it together. Um, so I hope that other people will love it also. And so that's just a nice, like non-writing related fun thing to do. Okay. Now you have to do your shameless plug on Andale Prieta. So okay. this is your, your <laughs> ad, your commercial. This is my it. ad. Okay. Um, so I hope readers will pick up Andale Prieta. It's a beautiful book um, highlighting family and love. And it highlights the living on the border in, in a way that I don't know has been done because I don't know a lot of books that have been written about El Paso um, in this way. And so I hope readers will pick it up and love it and enjoy it. And then also tell their friends and family to read it and love it and enjoy it. <laughs> if our listeners want to sort of engage with you, where can we find you? Where can we reach you? So I'm, I'm, I'm a new TikToker. I'm trying to work through it. Like your TikToks are amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. Um, so I'm actually a lot better at like Instagram. Mm. Um, so my Yasmin Ramirez writes is on Instagram. I'm on Twitter um, as well. I'm working on my TikTok game. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> it's going to take me a little bit, but um, I think that would probably be the easiest is Instagram is, is a little bit more my jam. Yeah. So Thank you so much for joining us. Um, It was really great having you. And I'm really excited to finish reading this book. I'll, of course, give you, not that you want my feedback, but I'll I'll make a TikTok giving people feedback. I feel like um, starting to read this book, I feel like has really made me reflect on my own family relationships in a way that I didn't expect the book to. Um, So I hope that um, as I'm reading, other people are following along and are reading your story because you have a lot um, of thought provoking, um, not even just in like a critical sense, but just like, I feel that um, even though I'm not from El Paso, like I grew up in Dallas, Texas. um, So I feel that it's been really pushing me to reflect on sort of those things that are so far out in the distance or we're like, that was my childhood or that was my life one time or um, right? but to think about how all of those things have led to where we are now so thank you 